2: already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies. Welcome to the last episode of 2020. I'm going out in style with communication expert and founder of MasterTalk, Brendan Kumarasamy, If you've ever wanted to communicate better on stage and have all those important words you wrote heard by everyone, this is the episode for you. Make sure to check out Brendan's website and YouTube channel in the show notes. There are some great tips and tricks in public speaking that Brendan put together in bite-sized chunks so you can learn a little bit every day. I'm also going to be starting 2021 with a bang. I've got my interview with Steve Hofstetter coming up next week. It's a very good one. Thanks for listening to Behind the Bits this year. And I hope twenty twenty one is better than twenty twenty for you. My guest today is the founder of Master Talk. And Master Talk was conceived to achieve really one specific goal for people to overcome your fear of public speaking so that you can use your voice better to communicate your ideas to the world. And Does this apply to comedy? Of course it does. My guest today, I'm really happy to be talking to Brendan Kamara-Sami. I hope I got that right. How would I do?
1: You're good, Chris Scott. Great to be here, man.
2: (laughs) Brendan, pardon me. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really glad that we connected because you connected at a time that I wanted to get better about my public speaking because on a podcast, when you're umming and eyeing and stammering, it's not good. The same as it is on a comedy stage. So I'm really glad we connected because I'm going to let you help me. And by helping me, you can help others. <laughs> of course, Scott. It's it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about why you founded Master Talk and what that's all about? Yeah, for
1: sure. So the story began at university. I used to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. Uh Other guys my age were playing football or baseball or basketball. I wasn't really any of those guys. What I did instead is I used the same competitive spirit, but I applied it to presentations. So Mm -hmm. for three years, I presented hundreds of times, coached dozens of people on how to communicate. And by the time I graduated from university and started working in the corporate world, I realized that a lot of the content on YouTube for public speaking was horrendous. You hear advice like, oh, Scott, you should get up on stage and speak. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with this nonsense? Yeah. (laughs) So I started making videos in my basement. One thing led to another and MasterTalk grew from there.
2: Yes, and you've got a lot of videos available. I've got your uh, YouTube channel up right now, and I'm going to put a link out there in the comments, folks. You can click on that and subscribe. He's got a ton of subscribers, and his videos get a lot of play because they're good. I've watched quite a few of them before we started talking here, but I'm going to pop that in the comments real quick before I forget. And the videos are great because, uh, first off, they're not super long. They Take a specific subject, so when you look at the title, you can find that subject. Like, let me pull a couple up here: How to present in a second language? How to should you focus uh, focus on content or delivery? Three daily exercises to mastering public speaking, which is what I want to talk about. But just a lot of great content. And one of your latest ones is it three things you learned for from. Uh, stand-up comedy three lessons three three lessons i learned from stand-up comedians and you mentioned russell peters and george carlin in there and really excellent content in that one too let me tell you first of all what my experience is in listening to stand-up comedy so i'm an older gentleman as you can tell I'm also deaf because I listened to a lot of really loud rock and roll music when I was younger, and I wear hearing aids. The hearing aids only do so much as far as amplifying. So when a comedian comes on the stage and they do not project properly, I don't hear them. I maybe hear anywhere between a third and a half of what they say, and obviously that doesn't do well for comedy because every word is important in comedy. So that's my own personal perspective, but what I also have heard is that other people have the same problem, people who aren't hard of hearing, and what I have noticed is I think that a lot of new comedians think that because their voice is amplified by a microphone, that they can mumble, they can vary their pitch so much that it's distracting, they can stop with the pauses, all of those things, and the amplified microphone is just going to do everything it's going to it's going to make them sound better and that's not the case so that's one of the things that I've noticed the other thing that I've noticed is that there is when there's a great fear of going up and talking when you're a new comedian. I'm not talking about just your first open mic. I'm talking about as you go up through the ranks, so you're an open micer, then you're hosting, and then you're featuring, and then you're headlining. There's a lot of different levels of fear there, and that fear can paralyze the emotion, can just kill the delivery. And that is something that really interests me as far as exercises and things you can do to get around that so let's talk about the fear of of presenting the fear of presenting the fear of doing stand-up comedy what are some tips and tricks that i can do that stand-up comics can do first of all to take that fear and turn it into positive energy into speaking
1: absolutely scott the first thing i would say is i have a lot of respect for stand-up comedians because they have it much harder than most of us do. So yeah. let's say you take me as an expert, as an example here, so people understand. I could say anything I want at the end of the day. It's really hard to disagree with an expert in his field. Uh-huh. But that doesn't necessarily apply to comedy. Actually, it doesn't apply at all. It doesn't matter what your background is, where you're from, who you are, you know what's funny, and you know what isn't. Yeah, Everyone knows that. So if you don't do a good job, everyone will know, and that's why stand-up comedians have a very challenging job. Mm -hmm. Because you need to deliver an exceptional performance as one person with one mic. But there are ways in how we can overcome the fear and master the public speaking context of stand-up comedians. So the first thing we need to understand is this idea that the fear of public speaking will always be there. Today, I speak professionally, and I'm still scared of public speaking from time to time. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that the message that I have to share with the world is much more important than the fear itself. So the analogy I like to use, Scott, is this idea that let's say there's a boxing ring and fear is on one side of the ring and your message is on the other. Your fear will always be in the ring, mm-hmm. but you need to make sure that your message Gets the knockout punch, which brings me to the other point. Where does that confidence come from to knock out your fear? The confidence stems from two key areas. The first one that we all know and that the best stand-up comedians talk about all the time is preparation. We see these comedians at their special, Kevin Hart, to name anybody. Mm-hmm. But what they also say publicly is for that one year to prepare for the special, they spend two years at least crap in the bed in comedy clubs, and small yeah. open mics. And they're always talking and brainstorming with other stand-up comedians to figure out what jokes are actually landing with the Ricky Gervais and all the other big names today. They still eat it for two mm. years. They still do terrible jobs. And then they knock it out of the park for the special when all their timing and everything is correct. So prep is easy and mm. obvious. But the other side of it is having a belief system. What do you actually believe in? What is it about stand-up comedy that makes you want to get up on stage? Why do you want to share your ideas with the world? I find that so important, Scott, to get very clear about those reasons. Because that is what gives you confidence to deliver presentations or stand-up comedy performances. So if you take me, I started training senior-level executives when I was 23 on Mm -hmm. communication. Where did that confidence come from? It came from this idea that I wanted to make better free resources for the world who couldn't afford me. And the only way to get there is to get executives to pay me high premiums so I can reinvest that money into the videos that we see today on the YouTube channel. But that's Mm -hmm. the idea. Have a belief system. Why are telling jokes so important to you? Why is getting people to have a smile on their face in your audience is so important to you? And if you get really clear on that, I think you'll be one step closer to getting there.
2: Mm -hmm. I found... Very early on that I needed to say the words that I'm going to be saying on stage hundreds of times before I set them on stage. And that was even before an open mic, because I'm one of those guys that doesn't want to go up and screw up an open mic, even though that's just to practice. So I would either print out my notes and walk around my basement and talk them talk about them or I'd memorize them and say them in the car when I was driving, just say those words over and over again. So that I knew what the words were because as, as a comic, if you forget a couple words, that kills a joke. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I, that's one of the things I did early on. I do I, re, remembering the fact that I started late and I had already gone through enough stuff in my life that I had enough fear and enough stuff that it didn't really affect me as bad as like a 22-year-old starting out or 18-year-old starting out doing comedy. But there was still a lot of butterflies there, and I did totally screw up my first few times because I was so scared when I got up there because there was no confidence. Even though I practiced, there was no confidence in speaking in front of people. Then That's one of the points I wanted to get to. Next, it's the and you'll notice I'm doing a lot of pausing because I'm using one of your techniques to not say because I'm gonna actually go through and count my ums and ahs when I edit this because I'm really working hard on it, but yeah <laughs> and then I just put one in, but the biggest fear is okay, I've got this material, I'm ready to say it out loud. I've practiced in front of my friends, I've practiced in front of my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. But then when you get up on stage and there's 50 people in the audience, people just totally freak out. And there's always got to be that first time there's and even really those first few times, there's got to be that first time you get in front of people sitting there looking at you waiting for something. Is there any tricks to just Getting on stage and not being so scared when you talk to people.
1: Absolutely. the The way that I think about this, Scott, is not enough comedians I find or content creators, people who speak on a stage, people who perform, have enough dinner conversations with the people that actually listen to them. Mm-hmm. Every single comedians, every single content creator, every single big star starts at the same place. Three mm-hmm. people watching them, five people watching them, seven people watching them. What you need to get clear ahead of the game before it's too late and you're too famous is mm-hmm. you need to have one-on-one conversations and ask those people, why in the world are you listening to me? You mm-hmm. could be going to any other comedy club. Why are you spending time out of your life listening to me? And at the beginning, you're going to get answers like, I'm your mom or I'm your <laughs> <"But> <laughs> over time Your audience, especially the people you don't know, will start to pour their hearts into you.
2: Mm -hmm. They'll say
1: things like, hey, Scott, I was really depressed. I had a really tough day. And then I went to your show and wow, you really made me feel great about life. And it was so hilarious how you said this and that. And then you start to really get an understanding that, wait a second, I guess my jokes aren't that stupid after all.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's when it starts to shift for you. And I find that's what the great stand-up comedians understand, is this idea. And, and what's fascinating about them, that's why I made a whole video about them, is they don't explicitly communicate that. It's more about they keep it in the back of their heads, mm-hmm. because they always got to stay funny in their public image. But it's this idea that they know the impact that they're making. It's about telling these jokes that can really make a dead Like going back to Russell Peters, since we talked about the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like he he would be, literally made my childhood. Mm-hmm. I never knew what Static Comedian was. I watched all of his specials when I was 14, which is probably not the right age to watch that kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> but uh, it was great. Like He really inspired me. And he helped me see laughter as a tool to help bring people together. Mm-hmm. The way that he hits on different ethnicities. It's like, no, right. it's not about hitting. It's about sewing that, hey, we're all that different from each other. Let's all just laugh at each other and be happy. Right. I want everyone to apply that analogy in the jokes and the performances that you give. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm a big advocate of having those one-on-one conversations Scott, so that you understand that once your ideas are important, then you'll be a lot less scared to communicate them.
2: Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense because some folks only want to get into stand-up comedy because they think it's cool. But as you start working in it, if you do talk one-on-one with somebody and say, why did you listen to me? You're going to get a mission statement. You're going to and you're going to get your why. And if that is always driving you, like you said, if that's always back there driving you, then everything that comes out is going to have more impact. And you're going to you're going to take it more seriously and you're going to be a lot more confident talking to those folks in front of you.
1: And I find that's true in any industry. Like just to build on
2: what you're saying, because
1: it's amazing. Instead of comedy, instead of comedy, the, the person I would equate at who really cares about their art is somebody like Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. He turned down millions of dollars to say, "Screw all of this! Like I don't get to say the jokes." Always. I'm just going to live on a farm, and everyone's just like, Wait, what, "What happened?" He's just, <laughs> he just uh-huh. he just left for eight years. Same same thing with me and, and YouTube. A lot of YouTubers they start because it's cool. Whereas you have, you have a guy like me who's literally just making YouTube videos on public speaking, which is just a niche topic, but I'm super passionate about it. Yeah, is this idea that some people care about the art more than just the, the fame that comes with it or the recognition that comes with it. So my advice is, is simple. Is once you get clear on why those seven people are listening to you, now, um, before long, you'll have 700 people listening to you in the same room.
2: So let's talk about things that I've... Had problems with and haven't totally overcome them yet. So when you get on stage and you get the microphone in your hand and you are projecting to the audience, one of my big problems is I don't talk to the audience. I talk over the audience. The stage isn't that far off the ground most times. It's normally like a foot, 16 inches, but here I am, I don't want to look people in the eye because I'm scared of what I might see, so I'm looking above them. What's a good way to overcome that?
1: Do the of thing, Scott. And do the of thing means practice long stares. I call it the endless gaze.
2: Essentially,
1: mm-hmm. so what you do is go to somebody that you love in your house. You can start with your wife and then move up from there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then what you do is you stare at them for five minutes – You can blink if you want. You just can't do anything else or talk. Uh Most people can't make it to five. Even (laughs) if they're married, (laughs) they cannot (laughs) make you to five. Trust me, I I coach a lot of executives and they always come back to me and say, I can't do it. I was like, what do you mean you can't do it? You're married to them. What's going on? Uh That's the thing. Most humans can't do it for that long. But the reason why that's so impactful, Scott, is if you could pause for that long and still have that resilience – when you go on stage, you won't care anymore in a good mm. way. Like you'll just look at people and go, oh, you got like a weird hat on. and You'll just, you'll just do your thing and, and have a, a lot of fun with that. So that's what I would recommend for, for the eye contact is start gazing into the eyes of people for excruciatingly long periods of time. So when right. you get into your actual presentation, you're going to have a lot more confidence. Why? Because the secret that the best speakers in the world don't tell you, Scott, and I would argue the best stand at comedians. Is that we can pause forever
2: mm-hmm. without ever making it awkward. So practice that. Right. That, that was actually going to be my next question. One of the things that I've read and I, it's been confirmed by other podcasts I've listened to that a, a lot of comedians do what I did. They were talking above the audience because when you're looking up here, you are you're seeing the words you're looking for the it's the way you're using your memory to see a cue card of the words and it's a crutch, but you never ever connect with an audience when you project that way there you've got to be looking and it can, like, like you said, it can be one person in the audience or you can flip it around. You can move around and, and pick other people they aren't uncomfortable because they think you're just looking at the audience and that makes a lot of sense now you just went right into another one and let me present the problem first of all uh new material or you're nervous you get on stage and you just puke it out Hey everybody! I went to the store the other day, and boy, was that rough! And I tripped and fell, and oh, oh! And by the way, I got kids. Well, you just spit it out. No, no pauses for effect. No pauses for the laughter. You step on the laughter. It's <laughs> awful. I've done it. When I see people do it, I just die inside for them because it, it's a ruined chance. You just messed up the chance. So. What are some ways that you can overcome that? And I, I, not just in front of audiences, how can you practice at home? Because you can't, it's one of those things that you have to almost be prepared for before you get on the stage rather than practice it on stage. That helps. But what are some things you can do before you get on the stage? And what are some things you can do when you're on the stage?
1: So this is going to be fun because the show is a lot about stand-up comedians, and people who are listening, or probably in that field as well. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say, okay, is if you are not already practicing with other stand-up comedians on different jokes, you are losing mm-hmm. because most stand-up comedians, are the best people in the do what they do, and they realize is hey, if I just work with the best stand-up comedians in the game, we all make our jokes better. We'll be ten times better than the next guy who's just working alone. Hmm. But the value I will add to that conversation is most of those conversations are around jokes and how you're delivering the jokes. They're not around the actual technique of delivery. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by this? Here's an easy exercise that I would recommend you actually do with another stand-up community. Usually, I don't recommend that, but in this situation, it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. because we're all speaking for a specific purpose. So let's say me and you are on a team. Where we both want to make it in Hollywood or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're living the dream.
0: Yeah.
1: But essentially, what's going to happen, because I've done stand-up and you've done stand-up in this context, let's say, what you want to do is when you take turns delivering jokes to each other, you want to pause them where you think is the best place for them to pause. Mm-hmm. And then what you want to do is you want to record both those conversations. I call this the forced silence drill, but we can call it the forced laughter drill in this case. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. I'm just changing the name. So let's say you're telling a joke, but you're stepping over the laughter. I go, oh, Scott, no, pause right there. Just hold it, then go. And then you go, mm-hmm. okay, here's my next joke. I got the family. Hey, pause again. Yeah. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to force you to watch both recordings. And then you'll watch both and you'll listen to the second one and go, oh, I see why pausing is so important now because now I can see Brendan – well, he's not laughing because my jokes suck, but like later when he does laugh – no, I'm kidding. But let's <laughs> say I'm laughing now. It's because, oh, now he's giving his audience the time to laugh. Now I understand his point. So that's something mm. you could do with each other. You don't need a speech coach with this. Like, Just get another stand-up comedian. And practice those things, especially in this field, because above everyone else, what is the best time to pause and for how long to pause in that specific context so that you can give the audience enough time to breathe between your jokes.
2: Mm-hmm. Thinking about when you're on stage, are is there anything that you can do to so, say you get off the... Proper pausing technique. Is there anything you can do to reset yourself and put your self back in to the proper pausing for effect, pausing for laughter? Is there some way that you can do a reset in the middle of a in the middle of a speech or in the middle of a routine?
1: That's definitely challenging for sure, Scott. I wouldn't recommend that for beginners. That's something intuitive that comes. Much like jokes, you know how static comedians say random jokes that they didn't plan for, spontaneous mm-hmm. ones? It's a similar analogy to public speaking. It's hard to reset. But an easy an easy recommend I can give people is when you're working on your one perfect set, let's say the set that you keep doing over and over again, what you want to do it is in that script, in that paper, you want to actually write down where you're pausing. So let's say, for example, oh, I should probably pause it. Scott, what do you think here? Should I be pausing here? And then you literally write in the script, pause for five seconds for effect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Smile a bit in this part. I know that sounds weird, but you need to start artificially
0: mm-hmm. in the
1: same way that when you start sending comedy, you don't really write your own jokes. You start practicing other people's. Mm-hmm. and then You get really good at them, like singing, and then you start to create your own and then you get better at them. Same analogy applies to... Uh, to mastering the public speaking side of stand-up comedy, is, yeah, just write down on the paper, where are you pause. I mean, you set at the end of the day is going to be 45 minutes to an hour max, maybe even 30 minutes if you're doing open mic, really depends. Mm-hmm. But, but the idea is sometimes these presentations aren't very, just for laughs is five minutes, right? Sometimes you just have right. to go there for a quick showcase. In that five-minute example that I just gave, that's super simple. You can apply that really well. And you'll realize, especially when you're adding these pauses, that you can say a lot less jokes and you could just focus on the jokes that are really funny rather than the jokes that are funny. And it adds a lot more punch to your, to your overall delivery mm-hmm. and you're set.
2: I really started noticing pauses from the greats, like a Bill Burr, like a Russell Peters, like a Kevin Hart. I watched Kevin Hart's latest special last night and there were some pretty long pauses in there. And as somebody who has performed stand-up comedy, that they were partially deliberate, but also he's thinking about the next joke while everybody is soaking in the previous joke. And you can even pause after the laughter's done a little bit because they are, if you just got a good one, off and they laughed really hard you can pause a few seconds after that because they are on the edge of their seats waiting for the next one and it it actually packs more punch because you paused. absolutely i I
1: completely agree with that point
2: so let's go into ums and ahs because that's been a crutch of mine for a long time and it's funny i'll tell you a story i edit my own podcast this is all my thing probably like yours is all your thing and it's a lot of work so i would go through and edit and i'd say holy crap there's a lot of ums and ahs in the podcast and i recorded myself doing stand-up as well and there were ums and ahs there what i did is there was a program that would uh, transcribe the the podcast for me and i would run my podcast through the transcriptions and one of the features of it was that it would count your ums and ahs for you and in one podcast now i had a guest as well and it didn't separate between the two but in one hour there were 2167 ums and ahs oh my god <laughs> so i was at that point I had to say, okay, I've got to stop this because I know it's distracting as hell. So I got really deliberate about it and I kept running it, running my podcast through the translator and they came down, but they've never completely gone away. So, what are some techniques you can use to get rid of? Of course. The secret sauce to
1: getting rid of filler words, Scott. It's to understand why they happen in the first place. The reason is simple. We use filler words to buy time. Scott's asking me a question. I gotta figure out the answer. Oh, this is what I wanted to say. So we use it so we can buy some time, right? Mm-hmm. So to say what we want to say next, because we forgot what we want to say next. Mm-hmm. But the best speakers in the world do the best performers, the best comedians, and the best entertainers like Jamie Foxx is that to save the same amount of time, they say nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, Scott, that's a great question. Now let me answer So what we do is we pause instead of using filler words. It's not an easy tick to get rid of. I know it's easier said than done when you see me do it. But the point I want to drive is we all start a chapter one. When I started speaking professionally, my presentations used to be littered with ums and ahs. Mm-hmm. But because I forced myself to replace them with pauses and silences, I got much better with them over time. And now, as I, I say, none of them now. But mm-hmm. the point that I'm driving for everyone who's listening is it's a step, right? And you don't just get there overnight. The process is simple. Once you learn how to pause effectively in your presentation, there's a cause and effect relationship. The number of words that you will say will automatically decrease. What do I mm-hmm. mean by that? If you're comfortable pausing for five minutes, like in my in-person workshops, what I do, Scott, is I actually pause for two minutes, like two full minutes. And everyone just goes, <sighs> everyone's in their seats. And I'm just, they're like, yeah, I'm just drinking some water just to prove my point. But because I'm so comfortable pausing, I would never do that in an actual presentation, like pausing right. for two minutes. But what happens is I'm so comfortable with pausing that the next time I want to say a filler words, I could just replace that with nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But we need to get comfortable with that.
2: Is there any exercises you can do before you start talking that can help you with that?
1: I would say the only, the best way to practice this, I, I still probably have to figure out a technique and that's probably an action item for myself. But the way I did it was I would present a single presentation. So in comedy, that's easy. What's your best set? Mm-hmm. And then I would record the full set. Maybe uh, let's do the five-minute snippet. Let's start with the five-minute showcase. It's easy. You record it. You count the number of umzones. So you have to watch your own tapes. I know it goes without saying. If you want to be a great performer, you got to watch your own stuff. Yep. Beyonce presents her three-hour you know, show and goes backstage, turns it on, and starts watching it all over again. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you need to start doing the same thing. But the difference, and I'm sure a lot of you are already doing that, But the way the lens that used to look at your set needs to be different, needs to shift from just, is my joke funny to how is my joke being delivered?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You need to change the lens. You're still looking at the same video, but the way that you're looking at it needs to change. Mm -hmm. And then over time, what happens, you start to realize, man, I say so many filler words. Let me try that same set again, one joke at a time. And -hmm. then you record again. It's always better to do this with a partner, by the way. Do mm-hmm. it with another standard comedian. Don't do this alone. It'll also be boring as hell. Do it with people. And that, because that's what I did. And then after you do the set 10, 15 times, trust me, the the 15th video, I'm pretty sure I'd bet money on this. You would say a lot less filler words than the first recording if you really yes. put the time and effort on it.
2: Yes. Yes. Agreed. And there are other filler words besides um, Amina. Uh, there's like, what are some other filler words that you want to get rid of?
1: But what I will say is most audience members will not really recognize you saying filler words as long as 95% of them are removed or 90% of them. Even me, a lot of the times I say like a lot. I say so. But Mm -hmm. nobody really comments on that because I don't say filler words most of the time. So Mm -hmm. the goal here, much like stand-up comedians, we're not shooting for perfection here. We're shooting for what's 80 20? What's going to mm-hmm. get me 80% of the results here? Because if I get 80% of the jokes and people don't realize that I messed up the other 20 and I don't show it, people are going to still say that I'm funny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Same thing with, with public speaking. You don't have to get everything right, especially in the comedy game. You don't, because nobody's counting your filler words. Right. They just want to laugh. If you make them laugh, okay. Right. And then over time, as you slowly become a more serious professional like me, let's say in my field, or Russell Peters and let's say, his field, or any other com- comedian, then, mm-hmm. yeah, then you'll really work towards that 100% mark. But that's not the goal of today's conversation. The goal of today's conversation is how do we get the number down by 50%? Mm-hmm. And that already will give you a huge spike of confidence. Right. And by the way, getting that 50% is actually really easy for most people here because standard comedian comedy is much harder than regular presentations.
2: And you made a point of saying that they don't really notice the filler words so much. However, the presentation and your comedy is better when they're not there. So you would, if you took two performances, the exact same set side by side with 50% more ums and ahs. So all those filler words, and then you take it, The other way, I would wager that you get a lot more laughs and you connect with the audience better on the one where there's not so many filler words. And it's something that isn't conscious with your audience. However, when it's not there, you're better.
1: Absolutely. I think the way that I see it is, especially as you get really good and you take this really seriously as a career and mm-hmm. this context of stand-up comedy, or really anything, then you get really obsessive and then you do things like, let me do the set 200 times. Mm-hmm. So that when it's the 257th time and I'm doing my Netflix special, and my other special people will go, wow, you're so funny. Even if you did it 250 times. before.
2: Now I do presentations for my real job as well. And I would say that a Q and a, is similar to crowd work. So let's take the similarities and differences between those two and what's the best way to handle crowd work and maybe even handle a bit of a heckler.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, here's the way I think about it. And by the way, you just gave me a great idea for a video. I'll, I'll, I'll make a video on how to work the crowd. It's really smart. But I think the, <laughs> the idea, because I have a couple of ideas in my head as I'm talking. Uh-huh. But, but here's the way that I see it. For me, it's a mindset thing. If you go into a crowd by saying, I hope they'll like me. I really hope they'll find me funny. All <laughs> it'll take is one heckler to bring you down.
2: Uh huh. Yeah.
1: Versus saying, I've done this set 200 times. There is no way in hell that this audience is not going to laugh.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But that only comes with time. And I'll, and I'll use myself as an example because I sound like I'm putting myself on a pedestal. So let me bring myself down here. When I was on my first podcast and somebody like you was asking me, hey, Brendan, what's Master Talk? What's the fear of public school? How do we overcome this? I wasn't answering this eloquently. I was just right. uh, t- some dude in a basement, which I'm, I'm still in that basement today, where I just, <laughs> where I just answered with, well, and in my head, I'm like, I'm making videos in my mother's basement. Should I really be talking about this? Yeah, fear of public space. I guess it comes from somewhere. I didn't know what the hell I was saying. Uh-huh. After 300 podcast interviews, you're always getting asked the same questions. Right? Yeah. You're not going to come up to me and say, hey, Brendan, a uh, random sign. What's your favorite fruit? It's like you're not going to ask. you. It's not relevant. Uh-huh. But you could if you want. But that's <laughs> the key. But you'll realize the same thing happens in stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Even if you're presenting the same joke over and over again, it's still hysterical because the audience is always different. Mm-hmm. So because of that, over time, you go, wait a second. I've said the same joke 150 times and 148 times it was funny. It's just the only reason it wasn't the other two times because it's my first two times doing it and I sucked at <laughs> delivering it. hmm so with that newfound confidence, when you start to work the crowd, you'll be a lot more confident. In the way because your minds will be different. You're gonna your frame, right? It's like people work from your frame. They're here to see you. Mm-hmm. It's not you going to see them. They're here to see you because they respect you as a professional, and you're there because you want to make them laugh. You want to respect their time too. Mm-hmm. So when you realize that framing changes, and that's not an overnight process as well, and you start to get more feedback. Remember the dinner conversation, Scott. I always like to bring it back to that. Talk to your audience. Hear it from them. You don't need to hear it from me. Talk to Billy, who's uh, working at a corporate job, hates his life. His only release every week is watching you. Yeah. Right. Talk to Billy. Talk to Julia. And and then from them, hear it from them and realize that your jokes are funny. So then with that newfound confidence, you won't be worried about hecklers anywhere. But the right. next time you hear a heckler, you're like, yeah, once I once had a heckler like that. And he's just heckling me because he's worried that his mom thinks he's... You just, you just play yeah. it off and you keep going. <laughs>
2: There's really two times that a crowd work comes into play and it's uh, planned because that's just part of your act. Like Ian Bag, that most of his act is crowd work. And the other time is, is when your material is not going over so well because you haven't connected with the crowd. And like you said, hey, I've done this joke 150 times. It always works. It didn't work. Let's find out why. Let's talk to the crowd a little bit. Let's find out a little bit more about them. And that brings them in the moment and brings you in the moment. One of the important things that I heard from a comic that really resonated with me was that you have to remember that audience did not buy a ticket to come in and expect you to fail they don't uh. want they don't want you to fail they want you to succeed they want to laugh they came and you touched on that they came here to laugh so don't think that they're against you that audience is not against you they're on your side you just have to prove to yourself that it was worth it for them to buy the ticket
1: i love that and just to piggyback on because i love the point is this idea that let's really put that into context do you really think your audience wants to spend 150 bucks a night or 20, 30, 50 bucks a night when they could be doing something else with it that time? Yeah. <laughs> they could go do like a theater play, they can go watch a movie, stay at home, and they're coming to watch you. Yeah, yeah. The last thing they want to do is see you screw up, unless it's funny, but it, it probably won't be, to be mm-hmm. honest. So yeah, they want to laugh, they want to eat some damn chicken wings and have a good time. So, so right. show a good time, that's the key. Yeah.
2: One of the things that is a It's a continual problem with me is stammering, which is different than the ums and the ahs. I tend to repeat words. I tend to forget what I was, forget the word that I was going to say. And I think a lot of it is that my mind is going faster than my mouth. I can't keep up. Is that something that's common with speakers? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Trust me, every case you're mentioning i've I've seen it i've seen it. it's like i I'm like a doctor, but not really at all but, yeah. but, the, it's like, no, not a, but but the point that I'm driving is yeah, stammering's normal, especially mm-hmm. even in, with me sometimes when I'm trying to think of words, I repeat them a lot and the recommendation i I usually give for stammering is focus on everything else first. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Get rid of your ums and ah's. Deliver your things more. See, I just said, yeah, it happens, filler words. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you say you deliver the joke better. You have more conversation with your audience. And eventually, the stammering will just disappear.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: the way I think about it. Is It's this idea of how do you prioritize tasks? The issue with stammering is when you're repeating words, it's a similar version of filler words in the sense where you're saying, oh, let me just repeat this word again so I can give myself more time. To figure out what the next word is. But, but over time, as you gain more confidence, you start to realize how better of a speaker you're becoming very rapidly, especially with the tips we're talking about today. And mm-hmm. with your friends, you'll stammer a lot less. And and by the way, something worth mentioning. Nobody really cares if you stammer. Unless you do it really often. So for example, let's say I'm having this conversation and go, oh, oh, yeah, the, Scott, what I was trying to say here was this. No one really hits you for that. If I'm being mm-hmm. honest, it's only if you do it every five seconds, mm-hmm. then it's an issue. But if you do Kevin Hart, sounds like he's stammering all the time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's,
1: like, yeah. Talk, talk. he's incredible by the way. Uh, I, I, mean, uh-huh. I have a whole video about it. It's coming out at some point, but that's the point I'm driving. Uh, nobody cares when Kevin does it. It's a part of his comedy style, actually, I'd even argue. So I wouldn't worry too much right. about it. It's fine.
2: Okay, great. As far as things you can do, to practice at home, what would you recommend that somebody who wants to be serious about comedy does like on a daily basis? It's almost like part of your, either your morning ritual or you do it along with your yoga or whatever you do. Is there Are there things that you can do that will help you to, it's almost like muscle memory, get the muscle memory intact so that you are a better speaker?
1: Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you two easy ones. So the first one, we'll talk about the exercise after, but the the first one is what I call the puzzle method. So public speaking is like a jigsaw puzzle. By the way, if this is the only tip that you take away from today's conversation, I guarantee your sets will be better. So going back to
2: jigsaw puzzle,
1: does you know those thousand piece puzzles you put together Mm -hmm. with your family? Because of COVID, you don't really have much else to do. So uh, I, just,
2: I just bought one and oh. I'm not a puzzle guy, but my wife is. And I said, we're going to be stuck here the, all weekend. No kids. So we're going to do a puzzle.
1: <laughs> okay. Awesome. So, so you're like the perfect person for this question then. Yeah. If you were making a puzzle, which pieces would you start with
2: first? Edge.
1: Explain the rationale yeah. just for the audience.
2: Because the edge pieces are, they have one common piece part to them. So the edge is the edge. So you separate all those and you start putting those together by the different colors that are around the edges. And that's easier than you work in.
1: Exactly. So now the question we have to ask ourselves is why don't we do that with our sets? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're an amateur comedian, that's true with amateur speakers as well. You write a bunch of content, all your best jokes. You get Mm -hmm. to the stage, you go... And then you get to the end, you go, thanks. And I was just like, oh, I barely had time to go through one chicken wing. Like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. So we don't remember a thing. That's why I recommend puzzle. And puzzle is simple. Treat your sets like a public speaking jigsaw puzzle. Start with the edges first.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Practice the first two minutes of your set over and over again until it's perfect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm talking 50 times, not five times. Mm -hmm. And the best part about this one or two minute early set, it'll take you an hour. It's actually not that hard.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Same thing with the conclusion. How are you going to close this set off? What are you, what does your last two minutes sound like? 50 times, like over and over, just bullet it with yourself. Mm -hmm. Once again, you'll nail it after 50 times Go, Wow, I'm really good at this communication thing. Then you tackle the middle. So if it's a 60 minute set, you spend the next 56 minutes figuring it out. Mm -hmm. But if it's a five minute showcase, you're pretty much done. And then you just refine that one minute in the middle, and you're done. Mm-hmm. So start treating your sets like a public speaking jigsaw puzzle, like the puzzles you do at home, and you'll be a lot. E- it'll be a lot easier for you to run your sets and really think about how do I master each frame until the whole set is mastered. Mm-hmm. Other side of the equation, what is the daily exercise that I love to recommend? I'm a big fan. It's, this is especially important for stand up comedians about diving into the unknown. How hard can we make public speaking so that if you can do the harder thing and you go back to jokes that you've practiced so many times, that it becomes easy? And the exercise is what I call the random word exercise. You essentially pick five random words every single day, three words depending on how much time you have, and you make one-minute presentations out of each of them. Not 10-minute ones, just one. Mm -hmm. And what this does, and I'm happy to demonstrate it, of course, Scott, but essentially what you do is if you're talking about, I don't know, couch for a minute. When you go back to your jokes that you've practiced a hundred times, those jokes are going to be perceived as a joke. They're Mm -hmm. going to be easy to present.
2: Yes. So let's do an example.
1: Yeah. Give me a word
2: door. Sure. A lot of
1: people always ask the same joke, Scott. Knock, who's there? Knock, knock, who's there? You know who isn't there? Me. I hate these types of jokes. I hate this idea of why do we keep knocking on a door anyways? Why don't we knock on something else like an elephant or uh, maybe a road or a car uh-huh. or maybe my wife? No, actually, let's not do my <laughs> Let's uh, Let's knock on something else. How about we knock on a window that's cool (laughs) romeo and juliet when you're knocking on a window you go oh my dear love how i miss you so even if both of them die at the end but let's forget about that part (laughs) but anyways the point i want to drive here scott is just keep knocking just avoid the door and definitely avoid your wife anyways that's just uh, a good example I, I never did a stand-up comedy style but that's, that's really
2: good yeah you, you, you might think of starting a hobby there
1: <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah I've, I've always been passionate about stand-up it's just uh, for me just so people get the full picture of me it's a lot easier to be funny in the business world man there's a lot less competition Look at, yes. You know, that, that's the struggle. That's why I have a lot of respect for people. That's why I'm, I'm always happy to add value wherever I can. Because, man, doing this full-time is a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of pressure. Oh, Whereas yeah, no, me, no. I could just come on here, tell it, what, do it once. It was like, what, a 7 out of 10, if I'm being honest. But people uh-huh. are looking at me like, but, but he's not a static community. He's an expert, so we're going to give him
2: an 11. Right? Yeah. So- did there was riffing practicing riffing that's a comedy technique that is very important and that's one of the things that keeps you mindful it keeps you mindful of not only what you're saying but who you are saying it to so so that makes a lot of sense in public speaking you usually want your audience to walk away with maybe Two or three nuggets. You're lucky if you get three nuggets of information to get implanted in their brain and they walk away with that saying, hey, Brendan is a very good speaker and this is changing my life. So that and you can speak for an hour and that's what you get. You get three. And in comedy, if you get three laughs, even in a short five minute set, you suck. You're not a good comic. So that's what I've learned from public speaking. It is after doing stand-up and then doing public speaking, it's a breeze to do the public speaking part. But you have to be mindful of what your punchlines are in the public speaking, which is the nuggets you want people to take away. So if I want people to buy my internet security product or something like that. I, that's the goal, but everything I say is leading to that goal. And it's usually in story form or by giving examples and things like that in comedy, it's set up, punch, set up, punch, set up, punch. And so it's more, it's a much more rapid fire than public speaking. And it, Three three laughs in a five minute set—that's a failure. Three good points out of a hour long presentation is fantastic because they're going to remember you. So uh, there, there's a lot of correlations there. But you are so right in the fact that a- after you've done stand up comedy, public speaking is just oh like yeah, it's a joke. a walk in the park. Yeah. So you do one on one coaching with with public speakers. How would you? Approach that with a stand-up comic who wanted to get better.
1: If I'm being honest here, because because I know a lot of stand-up comedians struggle, especially at the beginning of their careers. The, mm-hmm. the way that I would do this, and Kevin still does this to this day. If I use Kevin Hart as an example, he's always practicing with Chappelle and uh, with Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. Is, is find a team of stand-up comedians where you're like these people are going somewhere. Mm-hmm. How do I practice with them? And then when you're working together as a team. Then you can start to quiz each other on different things. And I'm happy to give you an example with the one-on-one clients that I have that are mostly executives. And usually what I do is I always ask them this question. The question is, how would the world change if you're an incredible speaker? And for Mm -hmm. somebody who's listening, the question is a bit different. It's how would the world change if if you're a world-class stand-up comedian? Same Mm -hmm. thing. So in that lens, in that context, you really start to see yourself on bigger stages. You really start to set bigger goals for yourself. And then after you do that, you kind of have to figure out what the gap in your communication is. Because the step two is I wouldn't even be teaching the lesson. The step two is go watch your favorite comic. Actually, let's watch it together. And I want you to tell me what they're doing from a public speaking perspective. That would be the Mm -hmm. next thing. So now they're putting on a new lens. It's like putting on glasses for the first time. Yeah. Now they're looking at the different thing that you're probably doing now. And you're going, hey, wait a second. There's a lot more to Kevin's or to Gervais or to Ricky's right. And there, there's something here. It's it's not just uh, them saying jokes and going home. There's an art behind. There's a science here. And then when you start to understand that science, step three is applying that science to
2: That makes a lot of sense because I've gone from watching a stand-up comedy special like Kevin Hart's watching it once to watching it a minimum of two times because I allow myself to be in the moment and just laugh in the first one but then as a student of comedy I watch it the second time and I usually watch it by myself I don't watch it with my wife I watch it by myself so that I can really look and hit the pause buttons make notes and say hey this really worked for him and Sometimes things don't work as well. There were a couple times in Kevin's special from last night, "Eh, that wasn't quite as good. And he was in a different element, too. He was doing it from his home and had a much smaller audience. So he was doing stadium-style stuff in an intimate audience. So it makes a a lot of sense. That might not work, but he's been doing stadiums for so long. His muscle memory brain muscle memory was in a different place so that's one of the things I do and I'm sure that as a public speaking coach yourself you probably look at a lot of the great public speaking times like like a JFK speech and and, and things like that you probably look at those and analyze those yourself is that right
1: I, I make entire videos on that I'm obsessive and in, uh-huh. in, in the same way that that you were mentioning how you watch, different stand-up comedians which I do as well just mm-hmm. for my own entertainment but also value for to make videos like I did a couple weeks ago it's this idea that no I study them like like books like and I watch all of their keynotes there's one person in particular Scott Harrison who's mm-hmm. the CEO of charity I think I've watched all of his keynotes mm-hmm. on YouTube like I'm just watching I'm like oh, I would have done this differently I would have done this differently so when I'm coaching even if there's nobody there. When I'm actually coaching people, I can apply those lessons to my videos and to the clients. So yeah, I highly recommend watching people who are great. A good way to summarize this thought, Scott. Most people say very little people ask how. A lot right. of people go, oh my God, Kevin, you're so amazing. You're like the best things in the site spread. But there's a very small percentage of people look in the background and go, what's happening in the back end here? Yeah, <laughs> what's happening in the back end? What's the what's the curtain behind? What's behind the curtain? Yeah, you know, that's I, yeah. We're uh, putting it in and, and the same. What's behind the bits? So, so same yeah. thing with with public speaking. People go up to great speakers and go, "Oh, wow, you're so amazing," but they don't realize as you're. You can tell I'm very young, but I've also practiced over a thousand times. Like I've given mm-hmm. over a thousand presentations in my life, which is insane if you think about it. So, it's you mm-hmm. really start to unpack the back end of people's life. I think that's when you really start to shoot for world-class and you can Mm -hmm. attain it much faster that way.
2: That's great. You have given a wealth of knowledge in an hour here, buddy. This was, I'm so glad we connected and I want folks. I know you don't look at my show notes that much because I make the links. So I know if you click on them, but I'm going to put a few of my favorite of Brendan's master talk, YouTube videos, in the show notes so actually pull up the show notes for once i'm glad you listen folks but just pull up the show notes and and click on a couple of those and subscribe because he's not going to He's not going to spam you with stuff. He puts out one video a week normally, and the video is not super long, but I have taken away so much knowledge from the few that I've watched. It's fantastic. So let's talk about how people can find you. If people want to hire you to help with their public speaking, how can people get to you, Brendan?
1: Absolutely, Scott. The best way to reach me is definitely the YouTube channel. All you have to do is go on YouTube and type the word master talk in one word. And you'll find me right there. And if you want to contact me, all of my information is on the YouTube channel. It's really easy to get to me.
2: Mm-hmm. That's great. I've really enjoyed this, and it's funny. The it seems like the guests that I have on that don't directly have to do with stand up comedy; they're not in the biz. They seem to have more impact. So I'm always looking for more people like you that. Can talk about the periphery of doing stand up because there's so many disciplines within public speaking, promotion, and stuff like that. I, I had a, a life coach, a confidence coach on, and he he was one of the most commented on, I got emails because of him saying he really changed my life. And so that that's what comics need. And that's what this show is all about. So I really appreciate you taking the time on a Friday morning to talk to me about this because this was a good one. I, I
1: appreciate
2: that. I, I call all my episodes good ones when I put them out on Twitter, but I'm going to call this an extra good one because I think <laughs> we, I think we learned some stuff here. So thank you so much, Brendan. It's been great talking to you. Once again, folks, make sure to go to YouTube. If you don't do anything else, I put the link here as we've been talking a couple times. But just go into YouTube and type the word "master talk" all one word and hit the subscribe button. Watch just a couple of his videos because he's going to pull you in. It's, it's going to work for you. It's, it, it's some of the best public speaking stuff I've seen. I think because... I, I think it's because you're not so full of yourself like a lot of other public speakers, but it, it's—I it's, try,
1: it, I try really hard not to be.
2: Yeah, but yeah, you you really come across as a human being, and 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 I appreciate that about your video. So thank you so much, Brendan. It's been great talking to you.
0: Of course, brother.